Hey, Ideology of Madness crew. I'm, uh, it's Mikey Mason. I'm hanging in the uh, northern wastes of Wisconsin, drinking good beer with Tim from your show. And, uh, of course, you know, Paul's mom's here with me. And she wanted me to say hi for her. She would say it herself, but her mouth is full. Uh, this has been the first of the 12 days of Paul's mom jokes. Have a nice day. Stockings are all hung The fields are white with snow The trimmings on the presents and the tree The kids all snug in beds Dreams of swag all in their heads It's time to pop a beer and watch TV Christmas movies, Christmas shows special episodes filled with Santa bringing joy and giving gifts and that's when the sadness hits Santa if you're hearing this there's just one thing that's on my list please bring Firefly back for Christmas it's the time for miracles I hear I'd be laughing ho 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 If I could watch new episodes Of my favorite Gorham series At my favorite time of year Santa reach inside your sack Won't you give the blue sky back To all the little brown coats Girls and boys Fox execs still have us pissed Put them on the naughty list Like Burger Meister Meister Burger They took away our toys All those Ebenezer Scrooges And their Fox executives Stooges stole our show from us And Kaylee underneath the mistletoe Please bring Firefly back for Christmas It's your chance to turn a wrong to right Santa, show them you're the boss Give the green light back to Joss And then follow him like Rudolph through the black on Christmas Aaron, Polly, and Andrew. I'm Aaron. I'm Paul. 
And I'm inappropriately Andrew. Inappropriately Andrew. And, you know, I'm glad to see that we have cut the fat off of the podcast, and we've gotten down to the core, the lean muscle. The we, are a, we are a lean, mean, comic-reading machine. That is right. Uh, uh. You can tell by how long this episode's going to be in the four comics we're talking about. <laughs> and I just ripped my own shirt off. I'm just flexing over here. Exactly. Uh, make uh. them pop. Make them dance for me, Andrew. Time to go to the gun show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my world was changed this week, Paul. Oh, ooh, is it because you saw the Man of Steel trailer? It is. Oh, my God. Does that not look awesome? It is. I, I, you know, suddenly, suddenly 2013 is really shaping into something. Yeah, I, well, I, it, it makes it a little more depressing that the world's going to end in, uh, what, six days, seven days? You know, I I can't read a calendar. I'm not, you know, is it, is it six days or is it six years? I don't know. <laughs> so I have a question about this end of the world thing. Yes. So does it start on the other side of the world? Does it take account into account time zones? Okay. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so Aaron, moving past Paul's question. <laughs> I know Christopher Nolan just continues to build his reputation in my mind. I mean, after the somewhat horrible last Superman movie, I'm just really excited to see this one. Yeah, I, I, I am, I am, I am just as as tickled as I can be. You know, I, I felt like Zack Snyder was going to do us right uh, in this movie, but uh, wow, if if you can rate the movie based on the trailer, <laughs> I, I am, I am all in. This this trailer looked fantastic. Yeah, you know, we were talking about this the other day. I can't think of a single Zack Snyder movie that I disliked. Now, I did not see the Owl one, but I like all of Zack Snyder stuff. And, you know, I, I think his visual style really comes across well in the trailer. Well, I, I, I'm i not a big fan of Sucker Punch. You know, I recognize that it's a well-made movie. I just didn't much care for the story. But, uh, you know, visually, I thought Sucker Punch Sucker Punch was very striking. Uh, see, striking Sucker Punch. Um <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, I was taken aback by how much this guy looks and sounds like Superman. You know, my, my preconception of what Superman looks and sounds like. Uh, I think the look of this movie is great. I, I just, it looks fantastic. And you can already tell it has a heart. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this movie. Yeah, it looks awesome. I love, I mean, there are just so many things about the trailer that are right. Um, you know, I'm Amy Adams is Lois Lane. Now, what do I know Amy Adams from? Um, Enchanted, The Fighter. Um, I don't know. How, I what don't do you know. not know Amy Adams from? I think it's a better question. I, I apparently don't know Amy Adams. I've not seen The Fighter, so... Uh, she was in... And you've not seen Enchanted, The Muppets? Did you see the Muppet movie? I uh, know. No. You guys are, like, the worst people possible. Now, because we did see the Muppets in Fighter. Yes, the Muppets. That, how do you, you not see the Muppets? Very, you have a very low bar for what makes people the most horrible people. <laughs> Usually, you say who's the most horrible people in the world. You know, you get what you get. You get you get people like Gaddafi. You get people like like Hitler. You get the Khmer Rouge. You get things like that. You know, cited you. It's people who haven't seen the Muppets. Yes, yes, yes. Well, she was in Julie and Julia. <laughs> oh uh, yes, okay. She was Julie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Night at the she was Julie. Yes, yeah. now I know who we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. In Night at the Museum 2, she was Amelia Earhart. Didn't do that. <laughs> She's not doing anything good, has she? She was in Talladega Nights. Oh! Which, which, which one was she in Talladega Nights? Susan. <laughs> Does that his oh. Oh. Yes, the assistant. Yes. Oh, I'm in. <laughs> All right, now that we got that out of the way. (laughs) So, yeah, Zack Snyder, director, you know, Christopher Nolan worked on the story. I I think this is going to be David Goyer. And David Goyer worked on the story. David Goyer worked on the story, that's right. And I just, I, I, when is it opening, Paul? I need to see this movie. It is June 2013. Usually, which kind of surprises me, because I thought Warner Brothers had that second week of July time frame, like, reserved for everything. Because, you know, that's when they released their Batman movies. That's when they released the Harry Potter movies. So something else must be coming out that weekend in uh, 2013. I don't think they can actually reserve weekends for their company. No, not reserve, but I mean, you know what I mean, that they they typically release their big films on that weekend. Okay. Because it worked so well for them with uh, Batman. 
Well, I've got so I have to wait some ridiculous seven, six, seven months to see yes. Superman. Is what you're you, saying? You do. You have to wait. God damn it! I know it's hard, isn't it? But you know what? You didn't have to wait for. I know. I know. We've got this core group of guys here on the podcast today. I know that Andrew and Paul both went to the midnight opening of The Hobbit this week. Tell me about it, guys. I didn't well, want to stay up till four o'clock in the morning. No, I'm good. <laughs> I did. I did want to stay up to four o'clock in the morning, but I got I got a better offer. I I got an offer, whereas I could go and see the movie this morning uh, for free with free concessions. So I was like, you know, I will delay my gratification for thirty six ish hours. And go and uh, uh, see it Saturday morning, it, which is why, if you, uh, dear listener, if you notice me disappear in about 22 minutes, it's because I'm going to see The Hobbit. All right, so I have a question about this. Yes. So, free concessions as well? Yes. Did you guys just, like, hold up a movie theater? Is that what you're going to do? <laughs> they, uh, I, I, I volunteer for this organization, and as a thank you to their volunteers, they uh, rented out a couple theaters on a Saturday morning and uh, are, are host treating people to come see The Hobbit. That's pretty awesome. Now, I have a co-worker whose 12-year-old son is all about Lord of the Rings and whatnot. and was super stoked for The Hobbit. And he, he's like, Mom, you got to take me on, on opening night. you got to take me opening night. We have to see it opening night. And so she's like, yeah, I'm going to take him opening night. And I said, did you clarify what he means by that? She said, well, what do you mean? I said, there's a midnight showing on, on Friday morning. And she's, so she goes back and asks him and has to disabuse him of, of the notion that they were going to go to the midnight show on, on Friday morning. But uh, she she really didn't want to go. She'd been traveling all week and, you know, was wiped out. And she's trying to convince him, well, let's go see it Saturday afternoon. And he's like, no, we got to see it. We got to see it Friday night. We have to see it Friday night. And so it started yesterday morning. Aaron, if I paid for the tickets <laughs> and gave you seventy-five dollars, <laughs> would you take my son to the show? <laughs> and I'm like, can I take him to the place that serves alcohol? <laughs> and she was like, sure. What kind of scotch does your son drink? <laughs> does the $75 mean I have to pay for the concessions out of that? Or is that an additional $75 for me? My understanding is it was $75 over. <laughs> Did you explain for what your hourly rate usually is? That's a three-hour movie. Maybe she knows it as a three-hour movie. Because <sighs> you know, your rates are well above That's That's exactly correct. Well, and, and, and I had to decline. And she's like, seriously, will, will you take him? No, I, I can't do it tonight. I'd be happy to take him, you know, later in the week, but I can't do it tonight. I thought she was going to cry. Why, why couldn't she go Friday night? Did you? Did you get? Oh no! Did did, did your wife want to rearrange the kitchen? No, I I had comics to read last night, so oh, uh, you know, right. I try not to let too much get in the way of my comic book reading. Uh, you're a better man than I. I. I somewhat let real life interfere with my comic books last night. You can't do that. You I'm can't sure. do that. I'm sorry, but. You know what? I'm I'm excited to go see The Hobbit here in uh, 20 minutes and uh, eat probably a left, roughly a metric ton of popcorn and get all hyped up on sugar and then, uh, you know, puke shortly afterwards. Um, but, you know, there there is another movie getting ready to come out. Uh, well, never mind. Actually, we're not going to talk about that, are we? <laughs> <laughs> or, well, no, I mean, we could talk about well, it. No, 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 it's not that line. We're not talking about it. <laughs> so, but let's talk about something that came out that Marvel, uh, let's talk about problem Marvel. Are you, are you stroking out? We could, let's do a better transition than that, Mr. Andrew. Let's talk Mr. about Andrew, Marvel. shitty transition, let's talk, Andrew. Let's talk about Marvel, who tends to spoil the new things they have coming out on a regular basis. It seems more than just happenstance. It seems like systematic, purposeful spoiling. It does a little bit. So this week, you know, what? <laughs> a little, well, a lot of it. All right. So this yeah. week, um, Superior Spider or the the last pages of Amazing Spider-Man 700 have already leaked online. That's unrelated to Marvel. Someone got a hand a copy of it, scanned the pages, released a page by page blow of Amazing Spider-Man 700. Everyone's pissed off. Well, not everyone. Dan Slott's pissed off about it. Yeah. Um, but not, you know, but. He he shouldn't be too pissed off about it because Marvel has posted lettered previews of Superior Spider-Man number one and um, Avengers Arena number one. Avengers Arena, which both of which are the last couple of pages of the of the first issues, have some pretty major spoilers in them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Superior Spider-Man. If you were to read the lettered preview, 
um, which you know you can go online and find it somewhere if you want. I don't want to spoil it here. Um, it, it, it's pretty obvious what what happens. Um, and Avengers Arena, it, it kind of reveals the shocking last page of Avengers Arena number one um, with with a major character death. They spoiled so it, that. Yes, they spoiled that in the oh, preview. Good God. Yeah, they, they they put the, like the last three pages of uh, Avengers Academy as or Avengers Arena as their uh, as the preview of the issue, and I'm like, seriously? <laughs> um, well, you know, I think I know why they're doing it. when they do it intentionally and when they do it purposely. I think I know what they're doing, and it, but it still pisses me off. I don't yeah. I don't think it's good business. <clears throat> no, I, I don't either. I think they're Avengers doing Arena. Thing. I think they thought they would get sales by having spoiled that death when that death was why I didn't buy the book. Did anyone else feel the podcast just slow down? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Wayne. Hi, Andrew. <laughs> so you were saying I, I didn't catch all that. I was so I was so stunned to hear your voice. Um, what? What? Why didn't you pick up Avengers Arena? Because I flipped through it and I saw the death on the last page. So which we're not spoiling it, it, here. It Are we not spoiling angry. it? Let's not spoil the death. Let's just talk about it in abstract terms. So it it angered you. Yep. Because I was the, a huge fan of uh, that character. I'm not I'm just, just going to blurt it out like Tourette's. <laughs> I was a huge fan of the. Uh, you know, I was a huge fan of uh, the I can't remember the name of the title now. Avengers, Avengers Academy. Academy. I was a huge fan of Avengers Academy. I'll, such a big fan that I can't even remember the name of the series. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea of any of the characters, you know, that they had built up there dying really would bother me. Okay. Especially in the first issue as just a, a shock and awe and try to get people to read the book by killing one of those characters. See, and I thought – I don't want to get too much in details there to give it away, but I thought it was a natural evolution of the character uh, story character storyline from uh, Academy and the way, uh, the way it happened. Well, uh, you know – well, I agree with that from having flipped through it. I just – that was the reason I didn't buy the book. Well, and and you know when you're reading earlier on in the book and and you know events that transpire, all of a sudden that character has Dead Man written across him. I mean, <laughs> Dead Man walking. Yeah, I was like, oh yeah, you're yeah. I you know based on how this is going to affect the, the other character, you are dead. Yeah. Now that said, you know the other character survives based on the flash forward at sure. the beginning of the issue. Sure. Now, um, now in in terms of spoiling, I I just. I find that reprehensible. I mean, you know, the, these comics are two ninety nine or three ninety nine or however much they are. You know, you're buying the story. They shouldn't be spoiling them. They should be teasing, but you know, saying that this character dies in this book, um, that's not a tease. I mean, that's like that's like saying, you know, when you're advertising Citizen Kane, Citizen Kane. Oh, by the way, Rosebud's a slut. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> <No>. what? <laughs> exactly. Son of a, a mother. But. Uh, <laughs> But in terms of Avengers Arena, I I picked it up because Paul browbeat me into doing it. Same here. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Paul bullied me. Yeah. Like the big bully he is until I submitted. Kind of like at uh, Fear the Combat time. But Paul, go on. Paul called me up and he said, Aaron, I need you to buy Avengers Arena number one. I said, Paul, I really can't do that. I, I said on the podcast last week that, you know, I, I just don't think that every Avengers book is a good Avengers book. This looks like something questionable. I just really don't think I can do it. And Paul said, if you don't buy Avengers Arena number one, I will kill you. <laughs> I, 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 I actually can't deny this conversation occurring. <laughs> So I bought Avengers Arena number one with shaky hands, and, uh, <laughs> sweaty uh, the whole time. So right, I just scared, just you know, shit scared. So you know, Paul, what do you want me to say about the book? Do you want me to like the book? Do you want me to dislike <laughs> the book? I just need to know which way to go here. <laughs> well, you know, I have a question about the book. Um, did you do you think Arcade might have found a cosmic cube or an Infinity Gauntlet lying around somewhere? I think that Arcade is is you know playing fast and loose with some different technology. I don't think he's actually as strong as he's letting on. I think there's a lot of holograms and or maybe magic going on, but I think this is all illusion. And I don't really think that the character that died in issue one is actually dead. Yeah, I'd, I'd kind of buy that too. Well, um, I so, could see it, but I'll be pissed if he's not dead. So let's briefly summarize. Avengers Arena number one. Arcade has pulled it's a, a, book. Lot, <laughs> yeah, a lot of young <laughs> Avengers uh, characters to an island. Um, characters like Darkhawk, most of the Avengers Academy folks, um, X-23. Right, Anachronism, and, Bloodstone. 
Yeah, and basically they have to fight to the death. Now, it's being advertised as an ongoing series. I'd be shocked if it was more than 12 issues. Yeah. yeah no. It doesn't seem like a, a premise for an ongoing series. No. But, um, so it, uh, written you don't by... think an ongoing series can survive character death every issue? No, it's just you're going to get tired of watching people killing each other every issue. <laughs> I just it, – the concept itself. It's one of those concepts that just doesn't seem to lend itself to anything more than 12 issues. If yeah. I mean, it was yeah. – uh, I mean, it's a pretty much a blatant ripoff of things like Hunger Games and uh, before well, that, Battle Royale. There's a reference. But he completely references. Arcade's like, I got this idea from some young King fiction I read the other day. <laughs> <laughs> it was hysterical. <laughs> Arcade read Hunger Games like, yeah, let, let, let's do this, bitch. <laughs> yeah, this is a great idea. So the book is written by, is it Dennis Hopeless? And Kev Walker's doing the art. Yeah, and Kev Walker from um, Thunderbolts and Dark Avengers doing the art, and uh, you know I'm I'm I love Kev Walker's art. So he when I've, I I wasn't sure about the book, but when I saw Kev Walker was on it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot, and I enjoyed the hell out of this first issue. Yeah, it was a good book. Was I enjoyed book. it. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it as well. Yes, uh, I, I'm kind of curious to see what happens. Like I said, if we find out that this person really isn't dead, I will be upset with this book no no end but i wouldn't be surprised but did you guys notice at the, where they have the little variant covers down in the corner did you guys notice the avengers arena number one baby variant cover yeah, all the, <laughs> new, all the uh, avengers all the new marvel now books have a their number one issue has a baby variant cover by scotty young and uh, i want some of them but i just don't care that much uh, well I, I have it it's on my comiXology copyright here oh nice now you know guys uh this was my very first week to be a hundred percent digital. It doesn't feel doesn't doesn't feel good. You know, uh, it feels good. It was pretty liberating. I know. You know, it's, um, it's like shackles that have been weighing you down have suddenly disappeared. <laughs> well, I was on the road quite a bit this week, so I knew I wasn't going to have time to hit my comic book shop. So uh, uh, I went a hundred percent. I was all in, baby. I was all in. I still find I just don't read the digital stuff as often as I do the physical. See, and it's so much easier for me to read the digital. In fact, I, I I took my iPad with me and was able to you know read at lunch and and whatnot. It was yeah. fantastic. See, I a pile of comics draws me to finish reading. My uh, my nook doesn't draw me to that. I can be sitting with my uh, you know my iPad and and you know very formal things, waiting rooms, whatever, where I, wherever I am, I can just sit there and flip it open, and start flipping it, flipping yeah. through, and read. In fact, the other day, interesting, I was sitting in HR, <laughs> and I was waiting uh, to meet Be, someone. Being written up. <laughs> I, I'm not allowed to discuss the details of that meeting. <laughs> um, so I was sitting there waiting, and the way they have their area set up is that behind me is just a wall, right. and there was no one sitting next to me. So I had my iPad with me, so I just started reading a comic book. And as I'm reading, someone else, another employee comes in, and they've got got their young child with them. Maybe I had estimated about five to six years old and she's like go sit down she wanted to go talk to the, the reception person and the young child comes right over and sits down to me and immediately looks over at my iPad he's like oh what's that and you were reading Saga at the time no but, no I was yes. reading, no and no don't make it dirty <laughs> don't make it dirty <laughs> I was reading Avengers and so I was like oh yeah just a comic book and I was trying to be really quiet about it because I didn't want to <laughs> but I was reading a comic book uh <laughs> But I felt very subtle up until this uh, six-year-old blew my cover. And then you uh, killed him. No. <laughs> the funny thing is he came, uh, the person I was waiting to meet came out to you know, invite me back to their office and saw this child there and thought it was my child. Because the child was kind of leaning over, looking over my shoulder, <laughs> elbow, really. And it was like, you know, yeah. had his hand on my arm. And, uh, and did Jeff tell him it wasn't your child, it was your sidekick? <laughs> he's, he's Andrew, got I, a blue coat. I, I uh, hope you realize you can't tell a story about anyone under the age of 18 and not get joked for it. And the story not go to a dark place. <laughs> trying to, I'm trying to make a change. Um, <laughs> Never going to happen, my friend. Yeah, I know. So... Uh, uh, but we, uh, it was it was pretty cool. I, I love having it. I love carrying it. And that's a long digression from your original point. And I apologize. Uh, let's talk about Avengers Assemble number ten. You guys had talked about how much you love number nine so much. How much you enjoyed so did Su- Kelly Sudeikis' story. How much you love the Stefano Castelli art so much. So this week I picked up both nine and ten and got caught up. Tell me what you think. 
It was awesome. It was yeah. it was fantastic. The whole premise of nine to take a step back with the let's have a bet. Yeah. My team will get and then they go to recruit people and everybody's like, No, no, screw you. No. <laughs> and then the whole thing, yes. Wait, what? Well, she made him a sandwich. Yeah, I love that. I can control people. Make me a sandwich. Stupid healthy peanut butter. <laughs> so uh, uh issue ten yes. has uh you know, after the fallout of, of issue nine, you know, people die. It's not as much fun as uh as as you know Tony Stark and Bruce Banner had hoped. They're as oh. they're carrying bodies out, you know, to the Antarctic wasteland. Another uh, way to say is that shit gets real. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, Hulk powers down and uh, you know, Banner starts splashing water on his face and while Tony's trying to figure out you know what happened here and Banner takes a little drink of water and Tony reveals, Hey, it's in the water. <laughs> What's even better is that he reveals it's in the water and then there's a secondary but then you find out that oh drinking the water by itself, you're n- no problem. Yeah. You're gonna be yeah. okay. And then I you know, I don't want to throw this twist, they throw another twist and you're like, ah, Come on, Bruce. Really? Really? <laughs> Use your brain. <laughs> well, but it was Spider-Woman. I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. Spider-Woman gave him the crackers. Yeah. Basically, they reveal back at the autopsy, they're like, ah, well, they had all these parasites inside of him, which we knew was in the water. And they're like, but the catalyst was in the crackers. <laughs> they see, you see Bruce, like, with an upset stomach. He's like, here, have some crackers. Yeah. <laughs> and Thor's like, I don't think this is the best idea. And, and Spider-Woman's like, didn't your mommy ever give you crackers when your tummy was upset? I was dying. <laughs> well, I also enjoyed the uh, line of Tony, which is, you know, a Hail Mary pass in the form of enough antibiotic to treat the entire cast of Jersey Shore. <laughs> <laughs> which I know you think Tony would be smart enough to know antibiotics not going to work against the virus. That's just dumb. But uh, anyway. <laughs> I don't know. I bought it. So what do you think about this villain? You use antivirals to fight viruses. Come on. Antibacterials for bacteria. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> don't don't confuse us with your science. Yeah, it's like you play a doctor in a role playing game or something. <laughs> I do. I, I have a PhD in necropathy in Rainsboro. <laughs> so Captain America fighting ninjas on top of a plane above the clouds. Awesome. But antibacteria taking on a virus. Just dumb. Dumbest thing I've heard this year. <laughs> So, uh, but what one interesting thing is that, um, uh, as much as that may have bothered me, uh, it seems like didn't didn't the Quinjets used to have autopilot on them so that the flying people could just hop out and go fly around and fight people? In theory, because it was a little weird. She's like, I gotta land. I'm like, when have they had to land the Quinjet before they got into a fight? Well, when they needed it to delay the story just enough. <laughs> yeah, the oh. autopilot is broken until they need. Need it, you know, for some sort of uh, Deus Ex Machina. Well, and and you know, since she wound up crashing the Quinjet into the ground, why not just auto destruct the thing? Yeah, that's a good point right there, because she would have been fine. Yeah. yeah, maybe she was trying to take out all the ninjas that were on it. Like, I'm going to kill them all, which doesn't seem very Avengersy to me. But I, I got to tell you, I love this book. I, I, I love the dialogue. I, I love how she is uh, spinning these characters against each other. Really digging it. I do think it's a mistake on Marvel's part to have this as Avengers Assemble and not Avengers. I agree. Particularly with as craptastic as Hickman's Avengers book was. Now, I enjoyed the Avengers book, but... No, you you really uh, didn't. You think you did, but you really didn't. (laughs) I I, I feel like it's a wasted opportunity to have this book, which is so closely in feel to the movie, Mm -hmm. as a number nine and a number ten. I mean, the sales just aren't going to be the same as a number one. Yeah, I didn't like it was number one because it sounds like it's actually a good Avengers book. It is a great Avengers book. It's a damn good book. I I enjoy it quite a bit. And the Stefano Caselli art, that guy. You know, I've been following him since he was on G.I. Joe. He's stalking, stalking him, stalking, stalking. But, you know, from a distance. So, so, Paul, you were asking about the villain. Yes. Um, Do you not care for the villain? I think he, no. I was going to say I think he's very interesting. I, I I didn't know if he was an original character to this storyline or what. I am unfamiliar with Young Guang Han, so I'm going to assume he's a new villain, especially since Cap didn't seem to recognize him, and Cap knows everybody. That's true. That's true. So, Cap's like that guy down the street that everyone knows. He's just like that guy. 
He's just like your creepy uncle. <laughs> well, I love that line that he had where he was like, you know, they killed themselves a long time ago. They killed themselves when they handed their reins uh, the, over the reins of their lives to a spooky stranger. Really? <laughs> this is Darwin writ large. <laughs> yeah, the writing is just really smart. Kelly yeah. Sudakonic, she, she's got some skills. Yeah, she, she I, does. I am really enjoying the book. And, you know, it really says a lot. You know, I enjoy Captain Marvel in this book. And I, I'm enjoying her Captain Marvel series, but I'm not enjoying the artwork in that series. And you know, with seeing her writing paired up with Stefano Caselli is just, you know, brilliant. I'm just really enjoying it. Agreed. So, so let's go from a, a more of a, a lighter book to the darkest books well, of the week. I have to make a retraction, an apology, and a correction. Uh oh. Uh oh. So as you guys were reading, I was like, maybe I should read because you know I read this uh, on Wednesday, and so I went back and reread it and. Apparently, I don't know how it works, how bacteria makes a giant monster inside you that then bursts free. But, you know, when they're walking down the uh, the cargo plane steps and uh, uh, the bad guy is talking, um, you know, uh, my, my friend over here is he has a bottle that contains billions of 20 million year old bacterial organisms. Oh, so so it's not Tony Stark. That's an idiot. No, it it's, me. Perhaps it's, it's me. It's me. It's <laughs> me. <laughs> I don't don't understand how bacteria is going to make some sort of giant monster is going to burst oh, through belly. It happens all the time. All the time. <laughs> all the time. I, I mean, it happened to me like like twice last week. So stop eating at I, that place, there. <laughs> I, yeah, just want to stop I'm going trying, to Tijuana for lunch. I'm trying to build up an immunity. <laughs> so I just want to apologize and, and correct and retract my previous statements. Although as funny as they may have been. Um, <laughs> Yeah, retraction's not nearly as funny. <laughs> no, no, but you know, I, I try to be big if I make a mistake and catch it. No, yes. but wrong Andrew is pretty funny. I like wrong Andrew. <laughs> wrong Drew, as it were. What's such a rare creature? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Rarely found in the wilderness. But always found on funny books with Aaron and Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we had three death of the family books this week batgirl batman and batman and robin 15 i had Um, another one i read suicide squad as well oh we had four and um so andrew's leaving us so luckily we didn't care about his opinion on these anyway that's right guys i'm off to go see the hobbit and uh i'll just say this loved batman number 15 loved well the main story loved it okay bye all right So let's talk since he started us on Batman 15 and we lost Wayne too somehow. Now that he's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Can you believe what he said about antibacteria? Yeah, what an idiot. God. (laughs) Sometimes I don't know how that how he got out of necropathy school. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he did. I think he faked his diploma. I think he printed it at home. I think he's got some kind of equivalency exam. That's what I think he's got. Yeah, I I think he went to University of Maryland University College. He's got one of those online degrees, is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Are we sure it's not just an honorary degree? <laughs> <laughs> just because his name advertises yeah. the skill. Yeah. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so he started us on Batman 15, so let's hit up that one first. It's, it's kind of, at least as far as um, Batman, uh, at least as far as the other books, it seems to be the one that takes place first. It, it's hard to get the chronology straight. Yes, but it does um, seem to, it does seem that, that, Batman and Robin 15 follows Batman 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be, be my assumption. Um, I got to say the, uh, you know, there are really two stories in Batman number 15. There's the main story, Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo. Um, and then there's a backup story that Scott Snyder wrote that features uh, the Riddler. Um, that main story, those 21 pages of that main story may be the best comic I've read this year. I, I, I was on the edge of my seat. And I got to say, I went back and had to do a page count because I felt like I was reading a 32-page comic. It was so densely packed with story and overwhelming with images. Um, the the Greg Capullo's drawing of uh, the Joker is just horrific. I mean, that's the kind of image that makes you, you know, wake up screaming. Yeah, it's perfect. I mean, the 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 opening arc, the opening story, and I'm not going to say that the 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 backup story is bad because I I enjoyed the oh, no. backup story quite a bit. I didn't think it was bad at all. I'm just saying it, the, the the those first 21 pages are almost perfect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything from the art, the writing, the coloring is amazing. Um, there's a flashback sequence that I was reading about online that you know most of that 
came from the colorist. It's done in like a grindhouse style. Really? Uh, on the art. Yeah, most of that's the coloring. And I was like, yeah, I mean, wow. you know, it just shows how much the colorist really b- brings to the table because a lot of this is all about the feel and the dread and sure. all of that stuff. And, you know, you do get, you do get most of that from the coloring. Especially, I mean, that first, the first page is a splash page of the Joker with, with just narrations, no word balloons or anything like that. Um, and it's just Scott Snyder basically describing how inhuman the Joker is. And it's just, it's, it's probably one of the best Joker art pieces and descriptions I've ever read. You know what I, what I, the, the image is just horrible. I mean, it is oh, just, yeah. it is just horrible. And you know what I, what I kept thinking the whole time I'm reading that is, man, I can't wait to own this statue. You know, they'll <laughs> come out with this statue mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'm, I'm so going to own this. It will be on my shelf. I mean, it is haunting. I mean, can you imagine if they released a, uh, a bust of it? I mean, it's, it's, oh, yeah. it, it's just an amazing image. It's just as iconic as Brian Bollins. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Drawing of the Joker from the killing joke. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and there's so little to it. I mean, because most of the most of the panel is black. Yeah, it's it. He he plays with the shadows uh, magnificently. It's just it's just beautiful artwork. It really is. You know, yeah, one thing. I'm gonna, as but, much as I uh, as much as I bitched about the Joker story waiting for a year and how, you know, how I wasn't originally going to buy it just because of that. I have to say, I am glad they waited and gave it to Scott Snyder instead because he is just doing an amazing job on the story, telling the best Joker story I've ever read. Yeah, it's pretty damn good. You know, I'm so I'm wondering, so this is the Joker's redesign, you know, with his uh his face being strapped to his uh his face, as it were. Mm-hmm. I how uh, how long is that going to last? I mean, like how, you don't come back from that. <laughs> there is no way they send him to Arkham Asylum like that. Like if they capture him at the end of the storyline and send him to Arkham Asylum, there's going to be medical procedures. They're not going to leave him having a yeah, but it should be rotting face. But it is. Can't you tell? I mean, the way that they draw it. I mean, the face is kind of like, and you can see it especially in some of the other books this week. The face is kind of like falling off yeah. more and more yeah. as yeah. the months go by. Well, and the uh, I, I would imagine that he could be a candidate for a face transplant. We've seen those in the news. That's real science. You know, and it would be interesting. I'm, I'm sure that that's a next step in the character if they, you know, ever do, you know, bring him back into custody. But I got to tell you, the whole clamping your your, you know, uh, sliced off face to your head is so freaking creepy. I hope they keep this 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 Joker around for a while. Oh, and yeah. it it gets worse once we get to Batman and Robin. Yeah, no, it's it it's just amazing. And I and I, the scene where. Uh, the the rest of the bat family confronts Bruce in the bat cave you know it, it's there is so much dialogue on the board with with Bruce explaining himself and it all made sense i mean scott snyder has really pulled together an amazing story on this book that i understand joker's motive you know i understand what joker's trying to accomplish and it doesn't seem artificial to me at all um I understand why Bruce is responding the way Bruce is. I mean, this is just a fantastic story. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, and I, I do not want to spoil this at all, that nightmare that Bruce had is the freakiest thing yeah. I've read in a long time. I mean, I read through that, and it's just like, it's chilling. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a dynamite book. And I love, I think my favorite part of the book is actually the last page of the main story. Yeah. Where, where you know... He, He's walking up the steps. Yeah, where he's walking up the steps, and the lights come on, and it looks like a Joker's face. Arkham Asylum looks like the Joker's face. Right. You know, just like the cassette tape. There's like that that little piece throughout. But, you know, the way he describes the way Joker looks at him. Yeah. And I don't want to ruin it because, I mean, you, you can't really get the impact unless you read the book and get to that last page. But I just thought that was perfect. No, it's just so well done. I mean, it is rare that you find a writer at the top of his game, the artist at the top of his game, the colorist at the top of his game, that you've got all these guys just coming together and doing amazing things all together. On a monthly book like Batman. Yeah. You you usually see this type of stuff on a creator-owned book because that's their passion project. Did did you guys listen to the uh, Fat Man on Batman interview with Scott Snyder? I have not yet. It is really very good. It is really very good. Have you listened to it yet, Wayne? Wayne. Sorry, had a problem unmuting. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. I listened to that, and it really – Scott Snyder won me over. Yeah. That interview. I mean, just hearing how he got into Batman, 
hearing his uh the one thing I haven't really heard in an interview before that he did said a lot was the nervousness factor. Yeah. Where he's talking about when they told him it was going to be a number one, his immediate response was, no, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. His reluctance to, to sit down and write the book, uh, you know, initially uh, really came through on that interview. And I just, I, you know, you, you learned a lot about Scott Snyder in that interview. So if you haven't listened to it, I, I do recommend listening to that episode of Fat Man on Batman because it is very telling uh, about this guy. And I, again, totally enjoyed this book. Yeah. It made me want to go back and buy that entire detective run with, uh, you know, with James, James Gordon Jr. Yeah, Black oh, Mirror. I, so I, good. I, I picked it up immediately following the uh, Fat Man on Batman. Interview. Yeah, just it's, hearing him talk about yeah. it, it sold me. Well, you know, and I have to say, I didn't know much about Scott Snyder before he started writing uh, the New 52 Batman. But, you know, every time I heard reference to James Gordon Jr., I'm like, well, that just sounds stupid. You know, but listening to Scott Snyder talk about it, I was like, oh, okay, well, that doesn't sound stupid at all. Yeah, you know? and his reasoning for creating him that I don't think has ever come, you know, I didn't read, haven't read that full storyline, so maybe it does come through in the comic, but his, just his idea that Gotham gives you the villain that you, you know, that is the opposite of you. Right. Yeah, and that's the concept of the storyline is, you know, that's why it's called the Black Mirror, is that Dick Grayson as Batman now. You know, is getting villains that are more Dick Grayson villains, um, and I, it's, it's a it's a great storyline. You know, it, it's probably the best Dick Grayson Batman book that's there, because again, you know, one of the things we talked about with Dick Grayson Batman is that some guys just didn't write him as Dick Grayson, right, or draw him as Dick Grayson, and I think both of those came through in that arc very well. So I mean, the Black Mirror. If you if you like what Scott Snyder's doing now with Bruce Wayne Batman, you should definitely check out what he did with Dick Grayson Batman. You know, and I'm liking what Gail Simone's doing with that character now too. Yeah, with uh, with uh, Jimmy. Yep. Yeah. See, yeah. I have to disagree a little bit with you there. Unfortunately, that that it, it based as much as I enjoyed the Black Mirror, I'm not quite enjoying James Gordon Jr.'s appearance in Batgirl. Well, how about uh, the Joker's appearance in Batgirl? Now that was creepy. Yeah, yeah, it was super creepy. <laughs> so, uh, Batgirl number 15, and let's just say before we get into Batgirl number 15, uh, last week, Gail Simone got an email from uh, the new editor on the book letting her know that her services are no longer required. So, uh, you know, Gail Simone, I think it's issue 17 is her last issue. I could be wrong on that. Yeah, uh, I think it's the uh, – I don't know if it's the epilogue to Death of the Family or the last issue of the Death of the Family. Yeah. It's her last issue. But she she will be off of Batgirl here within the next couple of issues. Um, I, and the first, first reaction is, one, it is stunning to me that people will end professional relationships through an email rather than, you know, courtesy of a phone call. But, yeah. appar- but apparently that's common in this business. So I'll try not to judge that action uh, too harshly. But, what stuns me is that she found out originally, you know, there were conversations and interviews and things where people were talking about it before she even knew. Yeah, that's 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 pretty crazy. Particularly, you know, when Gail Simone is such a big talent in comics, it just seems a shitty way to do somebody. Yeah. But you know, if that happens. Uh, I, I it disgusts me a little bit, and I and I would hope that. Uh, you know the folks editing these books, and you know who are essentially the managers of the talent, would uh, treat them a little bit better. Particularly since we like them so much. But uh, beyond that, I you know I I read Batgirl issue one and dropped off the book thereafter, just not really jazzed by it. And I think a lot of that was my uh, frustration that it wasn't you know Oracle uh, Barbara Gordon. It was you know Batgirl Barbara Gordon. Um, but in this death of the family story, I'm really enjoying this book. So, you know, I was kind of thinking that I was back on Batgirl, uh, particularly with as creepy as this book has turned into what with the Joker wanting to marry Batgirl, um, and his way of keeping the girl home. So she's not out cheating on him because all women cheat according to the Joker. (laughs) Uh, the, the, the last page of, of Batgirl number 15 is just, shocking and almost a a the first uh saw movie kind of shocking you know and 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 how that play how that looks like it's going to play out um it reminds me so much of gail simone's writing on on secret six which is one of my favorite series um it's just it's no holds barred it is it is just gritty and dark 
and there's a, a certain amount of, of whimsy to it, but you know, you, you know that the stakes are high. And you know, Barbara seems like she is so in over her head from our perspective, but you know, she's on it, you know, and she's not shying away from it. She knows this is horrible, but she's she's running headlong into the danger and I'm digging the book, and I just it kills me that Gail Simone's leaving. Yeah, so I have cringed at the uh, the flashback stories. Yeah, the Joker talking to the uh, you know to the psychiatrist. Those were oh god, yes. oh yeah, yeah. So I, I have to say one thing about Batgirl, and I, I'm not trying to be a negative Nelly. It's not a negative thing, but so the big overarching concept of Death of the Family is: Does Joker really know their secret identities? I feel there was kind of a slip in Batgirl number 15 in the way he talked to Batgirl that shows that he really doesn't. The dialogue between him and Batgirl when he's referring to her mother as James Gordon's, you know, ex-wife or something like that. Like, he he never refers to her as her mother. He never does any of that. You know, it just seems like he doesn't actually know their secret identities. And I don't think he does. I don't think he does either. I think it's part of the game. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's all one big bluff. But, uh, you know, my only complaint about this book, you know, because I thought the writing was was fantastic on this book. My only complaint is the artwork. I don't think that the uh, Daniel Samper artwork is is uh, I think that it's adequate. I don't think that it that it is anything uh, um, to praise. Yeah. Did Ed Bennis do this issue? No, it says Daniel Samper. Huh. I like Ed Bennis because he did the last issue, I think. Yeah. Well, I remember raving about the, the art last time, and you guys uh, had a problem with the Joker portrayal. Yeah, the covers by Ed Benes on this issue, but uh, but the interiors are done by Daniel Samper. Ah, gotcha. And you know, I just there's so much going on with the Joker's face in uh, the pages of Batman and Batman and Robin, and there's just not it's just not as dramatic in this book. But I got to tell you, um, the writing is just fantastic. I mean, I, I love how. You know, Batgirl's planning on killing him. You know, she, oh, not planning on killing him. She knows where she's going to shoot him in the back to paralyze him. She's going to give the Joker what the Joker gave her. Yeah, you know, I have to say, I disagree on the art, especially on the flashback scenes. The flashback scenes, that is an incredibly well done Joker. Drawing does a creepy smile. I don't know. I see that more of a result of the art team, not just the artist. Like the, the coloring. I think helped with that. I don't know. I, I didn't. You're right. The, looking at the art right now, it's not. I don't think it's as strong. I don't think it's bad. I think it's hard because a book like, you know, because you're reading this probably right after or right before reading Batman 15, and the stellar art on that is really hard to compare to. I yeah, agree. I do have to say, looking through it, I mean, we a lot of times we've talked about how a, a colorist can ruin a book. I think the colorist is top notch on this book. Like, when I look through, I can't see a single complaint on color, and I think the colorist actually did a good job of, you know, covering up some of the, possibly the art that wasn't as good. You know, and so, since we're talking about art, can we just take a moment, a moment of happiness, to say that Pat Gleason has finally done a full issue of Batman and Robin? (laughs) That was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. Because it's been a couple of issues since he's done the full the art on the full issue. It's been more than a couple of issues, I think. Um, So when I saw that he was the only penciler listed, I was like, yes. And this book was (laughs) terrific. Wayne, did you read this one? I did. I I I I loved this. This this was out of all the books, Batman was definitely the strongest, but I thought this was the scariest. It was certainly, I mean, it was so moody. Um, you know, the the uh, the plays of the light and the dark, the coloring. Um, you know, the these dramatic images of Damien with his dog. You know, I, I, I there is this there's this wonderful page where he's talking to the dog and he's so. What do you think, Titus? And the dog is. I agree. <laughs> it, it tickles me, but you know, you can tell that that you, you, there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of deep thought on the face of Damien, and then there's this just very iconic image of of him at the uh, uh, scene where Alfred was abducted at Wayne Manor with the dog, you know, backlit behind him. And I just, it's just fantastic. Yeah the uh, the only complaint I had about any of the art is that first panel. I don't like the first panel at all. I think Alfred looks horrible. I don't think Joker looks very good. The rest of it, though, is incredible. And this artist does just some of the creepy drawings. Joker 
upside down with his face on, basically upside down. Yeah. So you see his eyes through the mouth. Oh, yeah. That was oh, creepy. That was, yeah, that was the creepiest thing we've seen since Joker came back. And him peeling his face off to turn it right side up. The art really did that justice. Yeah. No, it's it's all pretty nasty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. this issue was, I mean, it's a borderline mature reader's issue. I mean, when I'm reading it, I'm just like, this is really, really violent and gross. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for and, a Batman book with starring oh, a nine-year-old. When oh, I flipped through it at the store, trying to decide if I was going to get it or not, because I don't normally get Batman and Robin, the panel that sold me, there's a panel right after Robin headbutts uh-huh. Joker where you see the skin yeah. is just oozing down under his eye. Yeah. That is the probably the creepiest image I've seen to that point this entire year until I actually read the book and saw him hanging upside down with maggots all over his face. Yeah. Yeah. It this book is really good and you know I'm struggling with there's there's a scene at the end of the book, and I'm I'm struggling with is that really who we think it is? Is this really following Batman 15? You know, I, I there's a part of me that says I'm just not sure. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing when I got there. I wasn't I wasn't positive. But boy, I like this book a lot. I just really do. It's just an awfully good book. So I read one of the uh, Death of the Family books that you guys didn't, and that was Suicide Squad because it didn't have the big banner or anything. But I am such a huge fan of Harley Quinn, and I enjoyed Suicide Squad for most of the initial 12-issue run. Right. And this one is all about Joker and her, and mm. it takes place right after her appearance in, uh, you know, in the earlier Batman story, and it's just Joker beating the shit out of Harley. And Amanda Waller analyzing Joker and talking about what's going on in his head and what he really thinks about Harley. And... It's just this uh, this idea of how creepy Joker's become to the point that even Harley doesn't want anything to do with him. Well, yeah, and that was what she was saying. What was it uh, in the pages? It was either Batman or Detective. I forget which. But she's talking to uh, Batman. I think it was Detective. Yeah, I think she's, it was Batman 14, actually. Oh, was it? And she's talking to Batman, and she's like, you know, he, he's changed. He's no fun anymore. He's, you know, it's like yeah. the goodness in him has died, you know, he, in Joker. He took their <laughs> hyenas and gave them rabies. Oh dear! And she's having to kill her pets. I mean, these are this is these are pets she actually really cared about. They were her babies, right? And just the shock that she has that he would do this—that they had raised them since puppies—and now you know he intentionally gave them rabies and sent them after her. That's kind of a dick thing to do. Oh like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Joker is a dick. <laughs> Seems a little bit poor taste, Mr. Joker. Yeah. Just saying. Well, I mean, and Joker, it's a good fight between the two as well, because Harley does give him a good fight back, but, uh, you know, naturally he's going to end up on top and just kind of leaves her hanging, chained up with all of these dead bodies that he says are the previous Harleys. And it just, the, uh, I'm not going to spoil after that because there's, it gets even more disturbing, but yeah, this, his interactions with Harley really do help even further push just how creepy Joker's become. Yeah. That even Harley is afraid of him now. And she's wacko. Yeah, I think the storyline is really, you know, one of the things that I was concerned about is that Scott Snyder, you know, his first storyline was a crossover with uh, Night of the Owls. And now his second major storyline is a crossover with Death of the Family. And apparently his third one with the Riddler will also be like a major Batman event. And I was a little concerned about that, but the strength of the books and the way the writers are really running with it, uh, it, it, these books are very quality books. And it's nice to see them being, you know, portraying a consistent, you know, it's a consistent portrayal of the Joker. Yes, we have some chronology issues that maybe, you know, are a little questionable, but we're seeing a consistent portrayal of that character throughout the books. And that's just nice. You know, I mean, that's something that we complained about with Marvel, you know, where characters are wearing different clothes, supposedly in the same scene. You know, we talked about it just with new Avengers that, you know, it's just, it's nice to see good editing. And he actually mentioned in, in the interview that, you know, because he said, people have asked him about that. Why are you, why do you only write these big stories? Why don't you write a short one? And I loved his answer. His answer was a very simple one of, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to write Batman. I always expect them to come in and tell me I'm off the book. 
So if that's going to happen, I want to tell all the biggest stories I can while I've got it. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 this is this is really uh, you know a, a nice renaissance for Batman right now. Yeah, and I'm hoping I'm hoping he does the same for Superman. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I hope he's got as much passion for Superman as he's had for for Batman. Yeah, because it would be it would be nice to see those books get back on track. Yeah, yeah, and I think they have started. Yeah, I think they started. It's gotten a lot better. And, you know, Aaron and I were talking a little bit about this. Eddie Berganza is now the single Superman editor for all the super titles instead of different editors for each book. So I think that'll help bring the books together, too. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. I cannot wait for this Scott Snyder Superman book to come out. It's probably not going to be till next summer, but that, that is probably the title I am most looking forward to that's been announced for next year. So, speaking of uh, new titles, we talked uh, a couple weeks ago about the Matt Fraction Fantastic Four book. Right. Issue two is now on the shelves, uh, written by Matt Fraction, art by Mark Bagley. Um, so, Aaron, what'd you think? You know, I like the book. I, 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 let me start from there. But you can tell by the tone of my voice, I, I wasn't dazzled okay. by it, and I, and I felt like I felt like we didn't need to spend more time getting ready to go. Yeah, I'm surprised that they haven't – I mean essentially the the series hasn't started yet. Yeah, and I mean I, I was like, you know, um, I think that we had enough in you know issue one of Fantastic Four and issue one of Future Foundation or FF um, that we could have just been gone. You know? Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean this is how Matt Fraction tells the story, but I expected – you know, I was impressed that they were doing – expanding the uh, the launch past, you know, half of the first book. Because a lot of writers would have just had them gone midway. Yeah, would have done book. it in a page or two. Yeah. Yeah. But three issues, yeah. you know, two titles, two now, issues, you know, one title, too much. I'm, I'm, I was happy to see the appearance of Moon Boy and Devil Dinosaur. Um, but, you know, and as much as I enjoyed that, it wasn't enough to carry the book. And I just felt like this was stretching, you know. it is It is far too decompressed. My biggest problem with the book thus far and uh, your manufacturing characterizations is Johnny Storm. They have he has grown so much as a character and all of that is completely thrown out the window with this interpretation. Yeah, the 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 Johnny Storm from the end of the Hickman run to the Johnny Storm from FF number 1 and 4 or Fantastic 4 number 1 and forward um is not the same guy. No. I love his portrayal of every other character in the book. Yeah. There isn't a single complaint I have about any other character other than Johnny Storm. But Johnny Storm is such a big, drastic change. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I like the book. Mm-hmm. And I, I will I, I echo your sentiments. I do think, okay, we, we can start now. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I enjoyed the book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it'll read well in trade. Which I guess is more of a backwards compliment because <laughs> you know I'm not reading it in trade; I'm reading it in floppies. Right. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we did get we already got the thing dealing with the NC Street. We already right. got you know we already got a lot of that. So a lot of that's a little repetitious. In well, this it's, issue. it's it, just well it's well written, but it's repetitious. It, well, and it's the same problem I had with the Hickman books was that sometimes when you're reading FF versus reading Fantastic Four, you were getting the same story. You know, and it wasn't that you're. Be- it was being told from a different perspective. It was, in many senses of the, uh, 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 in many senses, it was, you were just being retold the same story you read in, in the earlier issue of the other book. You know, uh, and that's what I felt like we got here because so much of this had been taken care of. The introductions, for instance, you know, had been taken care of in in uh, the most recent issue of FF. I just it it felt like it was being stretched. Yeah, and I think at least uh, that's something that'll be dealt with since they're, you know, separate books with separate yeah, characters. I just think there should have only been one issue of it. Well, like, here's and here's one thing that would just eliminate the issue. You know, stop making it two separate books. If the books are going to tie together that closely, just yeah. turn Fantastic Four into a biweekly book yep. with alternating creative teams. You know, this issue's on Earth, the next yep. issue's in space. This issue's on Earth, the next issue's in space, and it'll it'll give you the creative freedom to actually do four issues in space in a row. And you know, do, you know, do the Amazing Spider-Man route instead of having two separate books that are telling the same stories. Exactly. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to get people who have not read FF caught up. Yeah. You know, because they're only reading Fantastic Four, and you know, those who do read both books are are 
basically, you know, losing half an issue worth of story in retelling. Yep. I, I think the real strength of this book, though, is in the, the conversations, the dialogue between oh, characters. absolutely. I enjoyed the interplay between She-Hulk and Thing. Yeah, that was the first one I was going to point to is they had a great interaction. I uh, I really like, you know, Ant-Man's interactions with Reed. As I yeah. shouldn't like Ant-Man for anything because I don't huh. like the character. It's not even Pym. But he's I love his interactions. It was every time you have two characters talking to each other and one of them's not Johnny Storm, it's great. Yeah. It's good stuff. It is. And I, I enjoy the book. It's two ninety nine. I do recommend it. I'm not big on the Mark Bagley art still. I I'm, think it's I still think it's just serviceable. I like some bags. Yeah, I'm a huge Bagley fan. I love the art in this book. It's one of the big selling points. And I love how he draws She Hulk. So Paul? Yes. What's coming out next week? So let's talk a little bit about next week. Let's talk a little bit about next week. Now, December 26th, which is not next week, but December 26th, Marvel is releasing two books, Amazing Spider-Man 700 and Avenging Spider-Man 15.1, the tie-in together. That's all that's coming out from Marvel that week. It's kind of like when DC did uh, Flashpoint number seven and Justice League one. Right. Right. So, but Marvel does also like to double ship a lot of their books. So next week, Marvel fans, may be the most expensive week of the year for you. Oh, God. All new X-Men number four. pretty bad. No, 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 no. Nothing compared to next week. All new X-Men number four. Avengers number two. Avengers Academy number two. Cable and X-Force number two. Captain America number two. Captain Marvel number eight. Daredevil 21. FF number two. Hawkeye number six, Incredible Hulk number two, Journey into Mystery 647, Scarlet Spider 12.1, Thor number three, Thunderbolts number two, Ultimate Comics Spider-Man number 18, Ultimate Comics Ultimates number 19, um, Wolverine and the X-Men number 22, X-Men Legacy number three, all from Marvel. And that's, those are just the Marvel Now titles. That's not even everything because there's Secret I'm Avengers and other so stuff. I'm glad that I dropped a bunch of those books. <laughs> Uh, and I, I still haven't. Some of them are, you know, some of them are books that I was giving a second issue, like Avengers and Avengers Arena and Cable and X Force and Captain America. You know, some of those are so are, are books are so new. I don't I haven't formulated an opinion as to whether I'm subscribing to them or not. So it's going to be an expensive week for me. Yeah, Avengers luckily sucks. I'm not buying it. You know, DC. You know, they're pretty consistent as to what they're releasing. Next week is Green Lantern um, and Nightwing. The Nightwing tie into Death of the Family. Um, Supergirl, Hell on Earth, um, Wonder Woman continues its New Gods storyline. Before Watchmen, Moloch. Um, Black. I'm curious about Black Beetle from uh, Dark Horse uh, Comics. It's a Francesco Francavilla pulp comic book. Ooh, that could be. Funny. Yeah, he's pretty interesting. Uh, I like Francesco Francavilla. As do I. And no. uh, Bionic Woman number six, Aaron. Oh, Masks number yeah. two from Dynamite. I know. I'm looking forward to that one. Yes. So, just a, 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 a really, really big, expensive week. Wow. This week was bad. Next week sounds even worse. I had to put back books that I wanted to get this week just because there were too many books. Where it's is be a hard choice. Yeah. Where's Jake Ellis number two? Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be a big, expensive week, so we'll have lots, lots to chat about next week. Uh, probably a very Marvel-heavy program for those of you who uh, like Marvel books. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I mean, the reason there's so many Marvel books to talk about is because there are so many quality Marvel books in the Marvel That's Initiative. Right. Lots of good, lots of good Marvel books there, and I can't really complain about that. No, I can't either. I can't. Either. I can when I go to pay for them. <laughs> That's okay. You know, Paul is sending over some of those fat Paul bucks to me, mm-hmm. so uh, you know, I, it won't be any problem for me at the checkout stand. Oh, we should probably put a correction on last week's program. Um, I believe, uh, I don't remember who it was, but someone commented on ideologyofmadness.com, which any of our listeners can do at any time on these episodes. Um, Last week we were talking about Comixology and gift cards. Yes. Now, Comixology does not offer gift cards, but they do have a wish list feature. That is true. A wish list, share your wish list, and have people buy you comics. So, if your people are looking for last-minute Christmas gifts for you, go out to Comixology. You can probably get some of those books next week as part of your Christmas gift. And I believe that person making that comment was one Tony Mast. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And I believe the person that incorrectly said there were Comixology gift cards was Andrew. That's like correct. I said, Andrew's wrong every week on Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. Full of wrong. Full of wrong. 
That's right. All right, guys. Well, I will chat with you next week. Y'all have a good one. You too. Ah. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.